This is LAC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. Christmas means different things to different people. But this morning, I want to draw your attention to the element of Christmas that I think is so powerful. I'm actually calling this message the gift of Christmas or the gift of Jesus. And draw your attention to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 beginning with verse 8. And I'll ask you to stand with me please to read these three verses together as we look into God's word. From Ephesians chapter 2 beginning with verse 8. Paul writing said, God saved you by his grace when you believe. You could just stop right there and that could be the message. God saved you by grace when you believe. Someone a day or two ago that I was talking to who came to accept the Lord Jesus said, I'm not sure that I understand what faith is. I said, you think I care about you? He said, well, of course. I said, that's faith. You believe that I care about you. Paul says here, you were saved by grace when you believed that Jesus died for you. Then he goes on to say, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. We can't take credit for being saved because we are saved by the mercy and the forbearance of God. Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. Did you know that? You're a masterpiece in the eyes of God. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the moments that we're about to spend, and I thank you for what you're about to do in this room today. Somebody sitting here, somebody watching me, somebody listening to me in a podcast really needs you right now. And Lord, I just pray that supernaturally, in a way that only you can, you will transform a human dynamic. The words that are coming out of my mouth that they would be transformed supernaturally to be a message from God directly to somebody who needs you today. Lord, would you help somebody today to rediscover Christmas? Its purpose, its reason, its cause, its effect. And we give you glory for all of that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Man, you may be seated. When I was putting this message together, I was trying to think through my childhood at the best Christmas gift I ever got. I mean, I remember I got a Tonka truck one time that I thought was the bomb. I remember getting Legos. Now, the, the cool thing about Legos is that some of your kids are asking for Legos and I'm more than 10 years older than your children. Why did you do that? 
Uh, I'm more than 10 years older than your children, and Legos are still cool. They're still a hot, hot item after all these years. But I, I called my dad the other day, and I said, Dad, I want to rehearse a story that's in my head. I want to make sure, because I'm thinking about using it, and I want to make sure it's right. And he verified much of what I remembered and then gave some additional things. But when I was about six, my mom and dad, uh, we didn't have a lot. My dad was working in a factory, and my mother was a stay-at-home mom. And uh, my sister and I, uh, the two, at that time, just the two children, and we didn't have much. We lived in a rented house across a dirt road from my grandparents. And uh, we w- I was going to school. My sister, of course, wasn't. But I would get up in the morning. My mother would get me dressed, and I'd go across the street. My grandmother was fixing breakfast for the other cousins. We all ate breakfast around Grandma's table, and then we walked up the top of the hill and caught the bus to school. And almost all the kids in that little neighborhood on that dirt road where we lived, there were quite a few houses and a lot of my friends, almost all of those kids, especially the boys, had bikes. I didn't have a bike. And so they rode their bikes up to the top of the hill to catch the bus, and they would just throw them over into the grass or whatever. And then when they got off the bus in the evening, they could pick their bike up and ride it back down the hill, back down to where they lived. I didn't have a bike. So I had to walk up the top of that hill and then walk back. And I always wished that I had a bike. I wished that I had a bike. And I remember that Christmas asking my parents for a bike. And uh, in, in the days that preceded Christmas, I would come home, I'd be, come into the house, you know, and my dad would be on the back porch working on something. I'd go back there, and he was working on this bicycle. And, and I'd say, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm fixing this bicycle up for a kid in the neighborhood. Oh, that's cool. And so I'd sit out there and watch him, you know, and fix it up. And, and uh, then on Christmas morning when I got up, there was a big ribbon on that same bicycle. Now, the boy in the neighborhood was me. Dad was fixing that bicycle for me. And so I said to him, I said, I, where, where did that bicycle come from? He said, well, you asked for a bicycle. We didn't really have the money to buy a brand new bike. And he said, I found out that the next door neighbor's kid was getting a brand new bicycle for Christmas. And so I went next door and I asked the man if I could buy the old bike. And he sold me the old bike. And then he said, I went and found parts and I rebuilt that bicycle for you. Now, I just remember in those years how much I loved that bike. It was my bike. I treasured that bike. And I think that now as I look back on it and why I would say perhaps it was the best gift is because I know what was involved with that gift. It wasn't the shiniest gift. It wasn't the most expensive gift. But it was a gift that came right out of the hearts of my mom and dad (coughs) and their passion to provide for me and to provide for my sister. Well, as I thought about Christmas and I thought about the gift of Christmas, I thought about that I would like to take a few minutes today and unpack with you (coughs) the gift of Jesus because no matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, I just say to you with all sincerity that Christmas is really about Jesus. Christmas isn't about Santa Claus, but I'm not going to fight with you about Santa Claus. Christmas isn't about parades. It's not about clowns. It's not about gifts or toys. 
but Christmas is about Jesus. The very element of Christmas is about the gift of Jesus that God gave to each and every one of us. In fact, just look at the word Christmas. It's on the screen. Look at the word Christmas. It's Christmas. The, the very essence of Christmas, the name is about Jesus. It's Christ at the center of what Christmas is. Now listen, I, I'm not one of these guys that gets all hyper about secularizing Christmas. I get some frustration, as all of you probably do, about the way that the world does. But if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you're not a religious person, I get it. I get that you're not going to make Christmas about Jesus because that's not where your mind is. But for Christians and for believers, the very element of Christmas is Jesus. If there isn't Jesus, there isn't Christmas. So for just a few minutes today, I want to unwrap the gift of Jesus in four words for you and then we'll be done. Here's the first word. Jesus is the unsolicited gift of Christmas. You ever had somebody give you a gift that you weren't expecting to get? Like somebody walks up here and says, oh, you know, Michelle, I wanted to give you this gift. I've been planning to give you this gift for Christmas. And you have this horrible thought, I didn't get you anything. Because you weren't expecting that they were going to give you a gift. Most of the time, most of the time, we give gifts to people that give gifts to us. Sometimes we go outside of that and we give gifts to other people. But for the most part, we kind of expect that we're going to exchange gifts. And so sometimes it can be awkward if somebody hands you a gift and you think, well, I didn't get you anything. I was watching this show the other day and, and this woman walked up to somebody and said, well, I, I was thinking about you when I saw this and I gave you, got this gift for you. And this woman was petrified and would not receive the gift. When her husband said, it was so rude of you not to take the gift. She said, I did not get her anything. I can't take her gift. When, when I think about Jesus and I think about what God did in giving Jesus, it was an unsolicited gift. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 6. He says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might be perhaps willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his love in sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, here's the truth. We didn't even know we needed a Savior. We didn't even know that we were lost. It was God who saw the need of a Savior for us before we ever needed it. It wasn't a gift that we asked God for. Jesus was not a gift that we needed or we thought we needed or that we asked him for. God looking ahead. The Bible says in Revelation 13 and 8 that Jesus is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. What that means, it's a powerful verse it's in that revelation uh, passage where we're giving glory and honor to God, who, to Jesus, that he could open up the book because he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. What it simply means is before we knew that we needed a Savior, God provided one. 
Before we needed Jesus, he was already given. In the mind of God the Father, Jesus was going to die for the sins of the world because as we've said a lot recently, God was not satisfied to let us just be lost in our sin. So he provided Jesus for us. So the coming of Jesus that we celebrate in the Christmas season is this idea that we did not go looking for him. He came looking for us. When I was a little boy, I used to play hide-and-seek with my dad. And I would, you know, I would go and hide. He'd find me immediately, you know, because I wasn't that good. I didn't have my hide-and-seek skills honed at that point. And then dad would go and hide, and I could never find him. And at some point, exasperated, I would cry out to my mother, Daddy's not playing fair, Mommy. I can't find him. And she would call out to my dad, let him find you, and he'd... He'd stick a little bit of his leg out or an elbow and I'd see it and I'd grab him and I'd say, now I found you. But in essence, I didn't, did I? I didn't find him. He let me find him. And that's the way it was with God. You know, we say sometimes I found the Lord when I was 13. No, you didn't. He let you find him. He made himself evident. He made himself visible. He came to this world in the form of a fleshly man so that we could see the glory of God and recognize who he was and we could know that he came for us. We didn't find him. He, in fact, found us. Here's the second word. Unsolicited, unlimited. Jesus is the unlimited gift. Now, I don't know how it is in your household, but typically we try to have a budget for Christmas. Shelly doesn't believe in budgets for Christmas, but we try to have a budget for Christmas. We set aside amount of money that we send ahead to the parents so they can buy gifts from us for the grandchildren, and then we hold back a small portion of that money so that we can buy something ourselves and take. Here is Shelly's standard answer every time. Shelly, are we staying on budget with these gifts? Don't worry about it. It's all good. Anybody else get those answers? It's all good. When in fact it isn't all good. I'm not thinking that she's purposely being deceptive. It's just that she don't want me in her business is what it is. It's all good. Jesus was God's unlimited gift. What do I mean by that? Think about the words of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever... Whosoever believes in him would have everlasting life. See, God did not send Jesus to save the first hundred people that accepted him. God did not send Jesus so that just white people, black people, Hispanic people could be saved. God did not send Jesus to just the Western Hemisphere. He is an unlimited gift because whosoever will can believe in him. It means that no matter how educated or uneducated you are, how rich, how poor, whether you have 
a, 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 a healthy, well-balanced home or whether you come from a broken home. Whosoever will can believe on him. He is the gift of God to the entire world. We say here at Lake Erie sometimes that every person on the planet deserves to know that Jesus died for them. And I believe that. And I believe that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. It'll be on the screen. He says, he is the propitiation. That word means substitute. He is the substitution for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, you may not have realized this, but when you were sleeping on November the 2nd, which is a little more than a, a month ago, on November the 2nd, the population of the world went over 8 billion people. And not only are there 8 billion now, but there's been billions of people that have lived prior to this moment that you and I are in. And Jesus was the substitute for every sin that every one of those persons have committed or any person into the future will ever commit. He is the unlimited gift of God. It doesn't mean that salvation and the blood of Jesus will ever run out of power will ever run out of the ability to transform our life. It doesn't mean that there will ever be a time when you cannot find forgiveness in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. No matter how privileged or underprivileged you might be, loved or unloved, no person is going to die and go to hell and say, I would have been saved if Jesus would have died for me. Because Jesus died for every person who has ever lived on the face of the earth. He's an unlimited gift. Let's move on to the third one. He's not only unlimited, but he's unchanging. He is unsolicited. He is unlimited. He is unchanging. Now, times and seasons and situations have changed down through the years. But the Bible said that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is there anybody in the room that remembers Cabbage Patch Dolls? Wow, look at all the people. Doug, did you have a Cabbage Patch Doll? You probably bought one, maybe. You remember when those were the hot rage, man? I mean, they, people were fighting in the stores over those Cabbage Patch Dolls. Here's another one. Anybody remember Tickle Me Elmo? Yeah? Connie, you had a Tickle Me Elmo? But you bought one. I got you. I got you. This one's not actually gone because I hear some of the kids in our church talk about Power Rangers. It just feels like that every Christmas there's a new hot one. There's a new big one. New one that's out there. I said a moment ago, you know, I hear... Some of the kids, when I've been talking, they're asking for Legos and, and those kind of things because, again, those are still uh, uh, transcendent kind of gifts. But the idea is that much of what we remember about Christmas changes, becomes old and irre irrelevant because the gift becomes an old gift 
A few days ago, I was helping Betty. Recently, I was helping Betty Stinson, my mother-in-law. We were working in the attic at her house, and we were pulling down some things. And as I would pull them down, she'd say, oh, that was Shelly's when she was a little girl. Oh, this was Joe's when he was a little girl. So I snapped a picture, and I sent it to Shelly, and she's like, oh, my God. But I bet you at the time, she thought that was the living end. She was excited about that gift many years ago because it was a big deal that whatever that gift was. And that's what happens sometimes is that, that things get old and they become irrelevant because the times and seasons change and people are changing so swiftly. But the, the gift of God in Jesus Christ is forever unchanging. What Jesus was to our fathers, he is to us. What Jesus Christ was to the people of the Bible, he is to us. What he will be to our children's children, he is to us. He never changes. He is the gift that will forever be the same. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter what your experiences are, but the gift of Jesus is always the same. To the shepherds in the field that night, the angel said, I bring you great joy, good tidings of great joy in the city of David as a Savior. That same Savior that they went to worship in the manger that night is the same Savior that we worship in this house today because he is unchanging. He is always the same. You and I aren't always the same. We, we, we're always changing. Some of the ladies in our church change their hair color about every two or three days. I, I saw someone walk in the other day and I said to Shelly, who is that? She said, well, you know who that is. I'm like, yeah, she said she's changed her hair. I get it. I get it. Jason Atkins changed his hair not too long ago. You can see, see how that goes for him. But the one thing you'll always be able to count on at Christmas is that Jesus is the same. He still answers your prayers. He still supplies your needs. He's still the savior of your life. He is an unchanging gift. And then finally, I want to remind you that Jesus is not only unsolicited, unlimited, unchanging, but he is an undeserved gift. That's what Paul said in the scripture, didn't he? Go back and look at it again, Ephesians 2. He says, God saved you when you believed. You believed in him. You can't take credit for that. He saved you by his grace. It was a gift from God. It's not a reward for the good things that you have done. You know, maybe you grew up in a home or in a religious environment that made you believe that your salvation is the result of the good things that you've done. The charities, the monies that you've given. But salvation is not that way. Good works are good works, and God honors you for the good deeds that you do, but you're not saved by your good deeds. You're not saved by what you have done. Salvation is completely and totally the work of God through Jesus Christ who died on the cross that you might be saved. It's an undeserved gift. You know, the... The popular lingo is, is that Santa Claus is coming to town. He's keeping a list, checking it twice. You better make sure you're not naughty but nice. So many times I think that we, 
we have built our salvation on this idea that God likes us, that God feels sorry for us, that somehow or another we have earned in that regard our salvation, but it's not true. God does not love you because he feels sorry for you. God doesn't love you because you're a sinner. God loves you because he chooses to love you. Not because you deserve it. How many times do we remind ourselves, to remind, we remind God in prayer, I know I don't deserve this. I don't deserve the blessings of God. I don't deserve the good things that have come in my life. The favor and the blessings of God come because God chooses. God decides he's going to bless us. He decides that he's going to love us. Many years ago when I was serving in, in student ministry, I was trying to, because there's so many kids you talk to, you know, that they get caught up in the emotion of what love is. And there was a girl in our church that uh, she came to me and she said, I, I think I love this guy. I said, well, how do you know? How do you know you love him? She said, well, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, Pastor, but I feel like, feel like when I'm with him, I just have this like excitement and, and this enthusiasm about being with him. And I, I think that's love. I said, no, it's not. That's not love. It's real, real to you, but it's not love. And I, and I realized that a lot of times we get confused about what love is. And so I started trying to prepare a, a talk and I set all those teenagers and students down in the church. And I said, let me tell you what love is. I said, you think that love is a reflection of your heart. In fact, we say that all the time. I love you with all my heart. When in fact, your heart has no capacity to love. It's a pulsating piece of muscle that blood flows through. Your heart does not have the ability to love. And, when, you know, as kids, we say, well, how, how do we love? I said, you love with your brain. You love with your brain. That's how you love. Now, I said, I know that destroys every romantic song you've ever heard. There's just a lot different feel going, baby, I love you with all my gray matter. It just doesn't land the same way, does it? My synapses are going off for you. I'm in love with you. No, it just doesn't have the same feel. But in reality, we love by choice. We don't love by feeling. Feelings are transitory. You know, some days I feel like driving a Lamborghini. But you can't live by your feelings. You'll be broke. You have to make choices. You have to decide. And so love is a, is, is a, a decision that you make. You choose to love. I remember talking with a young couple that was getting married one day, and I I, I said to him, I said, do you love her? And he said, well, of course I love her. I said, well, how do you know? How do you know you love her? And he just kind of stared at me. And I said, well, I mean, is she pretty? Oh, man. That was the answer he was, he was waiting for. He said, yes, she's gorgeous, man. She's just absolutely stunningly gorgeous. I said, well, I'm not, I'm not trying to be crude here, but the years will probably steal some of that from her. One of these days, she'll take her teeth out and put it on the counter beside her. You could see this 20-year-old boy screwing his head up like, what? 
And I said, you're not going to be the catch you are either. I said, maybe you love her because, because I, knew, I knew the girl. She, she was a part of our church. I said, maybe you love her because she's well put together. She's an intelligent girl. She's got a great job. She seems to know. And he said, that's it. That's it right there. That, that's the thing. She's got it all together. She, she's got her life together and she's got a plan and money. And I said, but what if she don't have money? What if she don't have a plan together? What if she's messy? What if she's disorganized? He's like, what are, you, what are you trying to say? I said, here's what I'm trying to say, son. In a few days, you're going to stand in front of me and for flowery language, we're going to read something that says something like for better, for worse, richer, or poor, sickness, or health. What I'm really asking you is this. If you have to carry her back and forth to the bathroom and spoon feed her her food because she can't hold the spoon in her hand, are you still going to love her? That's what love is. It's a choice. And when we talk about the love of God, we're not talking about God having some oozy, emotional kind of catharsis about us. God wasn't just sitting up in heaven going, I feel so sorry for those people. No, he didn't do that. He chose to love us. And he chose to provide a way to deal with the sin issue that we had so that we could live with him forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He decided that he loved you. He decided that no matter what you've done in your life, no matter where you've gone, no matter what has been the outcome of your decisions, God would love you. You made a terrible decision, took a gun, shot somebody, killed them, God didn't stop loving you. You robbed a bank. You, you, you made terrible decisions with your life, your marriage, your children. God did not stop loving you. You soaked your body with chemicals and alcohol and things trying to find peace. God did not stop loving you. There's never been a moment when God did not choose to love you. Because his love for you is not based on what you did, Paul said. Your salvation wasn't what you did so that you could boast about it. He said God saved you by grace when you believed in him. It was an undeserved grace. Every person in this hand in the, in the house today who might raise their hand to say, I'm glad I'm saved, not a one of them can boast about their salvation. Because if we got what we deserved, we would all be in hell. We are here today. We can worship. We can express our emotions in worship to God. Everybody doing it in their own way, different ways. But we can do that because there was a God who once made a decision to love us and gave his only begotten son. For our salvation. So then the question might be, then how can I be saved? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I like to say that salvation is as easy as ABC. A, you accept that you are a sinner. This is who I am. I'm a sinner. I sin because that's what sinners do. I know I ought to do right. I'll, I know that I need to stop this. I know that I need to make better decisions. But I, I'm a sinner. That's what sinners do. 
You know, sometimes when I'm out in the public and I see things happening and it's offensive to me, there's a part of me that wants to shake them and say, stop this, I don't like this. But the fact of the matter is that's what sinners do. Sinners sin. They make sinful choices. They act like sinful people because that's what sinners do. And at some point, you come to accept the fact that you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself. My sin is before God, but I can't do anything about it myself. I can't write a check. I can't volunteer. I can't beat my body. You know, some, some parts of the world, people are taught that they have to thrash their bodies. I remember being in Mexico City one time and seeing people calling on the street with these uh, these uh, handles with, with uh, leather on them with bone in it, and they would throw it on their back, and they would just rip and tear their back. And I said to the missionary, what are they doing? He said, they're trying to get God's attention. You have to do it. You accept that you're a sinner. Second of all, you be. You believe that Jesus died for you. You just believe it. I can't explain it to you. I wasn't there. I read it in the Bible and I believe it. As I said before, it's, faith is one of those things. The Bible says it's the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. What it simply means is, is that you step out and you believe. You just believe. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And then see, you confess your sins. You repent. The word repent means to turn. It means that this is the way I'm going, but I'm repenting and I'm going in a different way. I'm confessing my sins. I'm telling God I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for the way that I am. I'm sorry for the way my life has turned out. Before we pray, come on, Brother Jerome, and be ready. But before we pray, let me just hit this point right here because I run into this. I run into this in our, in our church community, not necessarily you, but in, in your friends and your family who talk to me about faith. I run into it in people in the community who want to talk about the Lord. I hear people say this frequently. I'm going to get my life together and I'm going to come to church. You may have heard somebody say that. A man said that to me during the viewing for Kenny Fuentes this week. Preacher, I'm going to come to church. I sure am. As soon as I get my life together, I'm coming to church. You know what? He won't ever come. Because if you're waiting to get your life together, you're never going to get your life together without Jesus. And if I could say anything to anybody who might be visiting here today or watching me online or listening to me in a podcast, this is not a church where you have to get it together to come to church. In fact, with no disrespect, this is a church full of people that don't actually have it together yet. So you got a habit. Okay, let's talk about it. You got a habit that you need, you think you got to get fixed before you come to church? Don't buy that. Bring your habit to church. You say, well, you know, my home life is a wreck, okay? Bring your wreck home to church with you. I don't know yet if I've made up my mind. I don't care. That's okay. Bring your indecision to church with you. Find a seat. Sit by somebody. Sit by yourself. 
bring your indecision and just see. Just see. Because you don't have to have it all together to be a Christian. You just have to believe. And I could hand the microphone to 15 people right now and they could tell you it's a daily walk. It's daily decisions that you make. It's, it's stepping out every day and trusting the Lord for what you need. It's confessing those things that are in your heart, making it right, walking every day in the freedom that God has given you. And I'm just encouraging you today. Accept the gift of Jesus. Don't be like my friend on that television show who could not receive the gift because she was embarrassed that she didn't have a gift to bring. Just bring yourself. That'll be enough. Your broken, sinful self. It'll be enough. He will forgive you. He will set you on the right path. And you will walk as God intended your life to be. You're not going to be perfect, but you'll be going in the right direction. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.